Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, and, so, and I'm joining um, Hanonymous uh, on the Twitters. Oh, yeah. Han Wynn. Han Wynn. You're, you're My not, name is actually Han Wynn, by the way. You, should, you have not officially changed your name to your Twitter handle yet. 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 Eventually but, we all will. But Han is joining us because uh, we're going to break, we've, we've all just survived Comic-Con. We did it. Um... We left maybe a little bit of ourselves back in San Diego, but otherwise we are back here in L.A. uh, having gotten through four very intense days of pop culture culture, uh, madness. And, uh, you know, the thing about Comic-Con is that there's a lot of stuff that comes out of it, but it's also kind of an experience into itself. And we're not going to really try to recapture what that experience is like for you guys because a... You know, it's kind of either you were there and you understand it, or you've been there and you understand it, or you weren't there and it sucks that you don't get to know what it's like. Yeah, the big the big thing about Comic Con is is that to me it happens you know over the weekend, it happens over four days, and there's just such a flood of information that it's really really hard to keep track of all of it. And we, I feel like we did a pretty good job at IndieWire covering all of it, but right now it's it's more like okay, but what do we need to know? Like what are the yeah. essential things that we need to take away from Comic Con? that you know maybe we missed because there's just so much coverage out there. Yeah. So so to kick things off, uh Han, what was one big thing one big takeaway for you from this this year? Um for me it was definitely Marvel's Luke Cage, but also kind of all the defenders around that. But um Luke Cage, you know, uh there was a new trailer. Right. So finally, you know, you get a really good feel for what it's um what's coming up with that. Um but then also you got your first look at Iron Fist. Right. And a new logo for Defenders. And then, um, but yeah, so we know actually now what some of this looks like, what some of it feels like. Definitely check it out. We have all those clips. Um, and, 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 oh, and odd moment. Daredevil got renewed. Oh, yeah. Because what we needed was another season of Daredevil. Liz, not, this is the show that you referred to as the wire for superhero shows. To be fair, I was quoting the showrunner at that time. You used it in your review, so I think you got to own it a little bit, Liz. I mean, I do, but at the same time, in my season two review, what I said was, I have seen Daredevil. This is great. Now I'm ready for the Defenders. I don't know if I need any more Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of where mm-hmm. I am. It's like, I'm not anti-Daredevil at all. I really enjoy it. But I was like, maybe another Jessica Jones or, or whatever, something else. Just Yeah. For variety's sake. Maybe not a white man. He <laughs> uh, just needs to learn how to land a punch. That's really all that matters to me. Oh, Con, you haven't been introduced to Ben's hatred of the phantom punches and Daredevil. Uh, hate him. Welcome. Welcome to, this, right. welcome, welcome to this special little thing you now know about. It's not hard. We actually might save that for another day, but let's talk about fight choreography at some point. Oh, well, we should. Yeah. I mean, it's an important thing. I it's, have, I have, uh, yes, <laughs> I have views on that too. Um, but, I mean, the, the Luke Cage panel was the first official uh, Luke Cage, uh, Netflix panel at Comic-Con ever, as far as, uh, as, far as I can... Uh, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and I think that's also a shame because I think Stranger Things could have very much, had they known, maybe they didn't realize that it would become such a big thing. I think people would have been insane about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, no Jessica Jones. No, no Daredevil before. Daredevil. Huh. Yeah. Well, that'll change. <laughs> yeah, that will definitely change. Watch Netflix become a huge player in that mm-hmm. space next year. Yeah. yeah, and they played around with that with the trailer montage thing they created, like yes. hinting at all the shows that are important to them. So it's like, well, okay, we're going to get ready for the the cameos next year. But Yeah, so for you, Ben, what was like one big thing you, you got out of the, the, the weekend? Uh, my first takeaway that, that really 
surprised me was that Van Helsing, the new sci-fi show, actually could be good. Um, I didn't go into that panel thinking it was going to be worthwhile whatsoever. And, you know, I mean, I have a fair deal of respect for Neil Labute, and it's it's an exciting concept that they're, you know, changing the gender of the, of the lead. That's great. Um, but, you know, it also could have just been an easy ploy for sci-fi to make, and frankly, the network that produces... So many Sharknados has to really earn my respect if, if they want me to court a lot of their other series. And and this one, the first look, it was extremely bloody. They were taking it very seriously, but it didn't feel like they were over-serious about it. You know, like it wasn't like just a dark tone that you could kind of get away from. Um, the actors seemed pretty good. The the, the framing, the, the direction, all of the kind of early teases. And we, and we got a good look at it. We got a, uh, a kind of an extended trailer, a uh, couple of longer scenes. Um, it really looked like they might have something there. And one of the things that I really respected about it was for a show that's post-apocalyptic, they made the decision to provide a solution. There is a way that the world can be saved. It's not just doom and gloom. Um, One of the tricks that they've got is that uh, the vampires can be turned back into humans. Like, they can be saved. And they do have memories of being their past selves. So, like, there is an option here for, you know, a lot of people are going to just be screwed. they got to kill the vampires most of the time. But there is a way to bring some people back and try to start civilization over. So it's not hopeless, and I thought that was a nice angle. So. You know, I think you might need to back up a little bit because I don't think I, I don't think we ha- I, I don't think the show was exactly what I was expecting. Uh, I mean, we, we kind of sent you in there just because of Neil Labute. Um and but but it's post apocalyptic and there's a female lead. Yes. Okay. Where but do it's you know both- all that? I, I didn't know all that. Well, pay attention, Liz. There's posters. There's stuff all also, over the place. Also, maybe someone listening to this podcast doesn't know that. Well, they're, I mean, now they've they been know. talking about it for quite a while. Um, that part of it was, you know, good, and we always knew it was good. But I think, the again, the real exciting part is that they're not just leaning on that as a crutch and recreating other shows. Like, this is not, uh, what was it, Z Nation, where they were trying to do, like, a spoof of The Walking Dead. Right. And they just got really lazy with it. This is actually trying to be pretty progressive on a number of levels, and that's that's exciting to see. So I, I'm not guaranteeing any kind of quality from it, but everything that they showed was good, and that's enough reason for me to, to kind of keep it on the radar for now. So. Right. Well, the only reason to tune into sci-fi on July 31st is to watch the premiere of Van Helsing, just to clarify. Wow. Um, well, on my end, uh, I got to check out a few panels uh, related to TV in between all the film stuff we ended up looking at. Um, and I will say, American Gods, we, we, American Gods showed its first trailer, and the, we, we, were, we, we internally were discussing earlier that the trailer itself... I don't think do, I do agree with you guys. Doesn't really sell the concept of the show at all, and it's not necessarily very well put together. It's very like there's a lot of different random elements. But having gone to see the panel and getting get to hear Neil Gaiman and Brian Fuller and the cast talk about the show, I am pretty intrigued. Like I think, and not just because they did the usual, oh, we're a big family, we love each other, everyone's really passionate about the material, sort of you know hand jive, which. At this point, I'm just going to start paying more attention to when panels don't play that game Mm -hmm. because that's clearly a sign that something terrible is happening behind the scenes. Or just not interesting. Like, they should have better things to talk about. Yeah, I mean, and that's actually, you know, that's maybe a critique to slam against uh, American Gods that they did only really talk about that stuff. But, you know, there's a lot of love. There was a lot of love in that room for the show. 
and for the actors and they made a big deal of announcing they basically had two people dressed up in giant bunny suits at the front of the room for the whole panel and about halfway through what? somebody was like is the moderator 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 Yvette Nicole Brown by the way from Community who by the way is a very good panel moderator she is um I was I was surprised pleasantly so uh, but she uh, she was like, I know there's a story with how we have two people in bunny suits up here at the front of the room. And that was Brian Fuller's cue to announce the casting of Kristen Chenoweth as uh, the goddess Easter. Um, and if you're a, a Kristen Chenoweth fan at all, you know that she's done a lot of work on Brian Fuller's show. So this is not like a shock that he brought her in for this role. But it, it was still a fun moment that she came. She came in. It was a big surprise for everyone. Help paint me a picture. Easter bunny type bunnies or Donnie Darko type bunnies? Or- Honestly, kind of on the line. Like Ooh, they were a creepy? little bit creepy. They were a little bit creepy, not full creepy, but I, leg- I actually took a picture of one of them because I thought it was like a like a volunteer who was just <laughs> working the working the panel and cause also happened to be cosplaying as Donnie Darko. But then when I got closer up, I was like, no, this is just a weird bunny suit. It's weird. Yeah, I think that's an interesting aspect, though, to to kind of talk about Comic-Con panels in general. Like, coming in, American Gods had a lot of great buzz, you know, because of who was creating it, because of its backstory, and because of the cast. So to me, it seems like a pretty disappointing presentation at Comic-Con if their trailer they released didn't really work and they're not going to give us a lot of information to cling on to from the panel itself. There was was some information. Uh, I think there was one moment from the panel I really loved was the fact that Neil Gaiman was very clear about how the only thing he stipulated when when it came to adapting the story uh, was that you know all the rate all, all the races of all the characters had to remain consistent from the book to the screen. Like you couldn't. There was basically he was just no whitewashing. And not only were Brian Fuller and Michael Green, who's the co-showrunner, are totally okay with that. Michael Green's flat out said, "We do not deserve any credit for this. This is the way it should be, in the terms of the adaptation process." Like. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's great that they're saying that. I, I mean, I, obviously, I'm a big supporter of that. That's a great idea. But also, that's something we kind of already knew just from the fact that they are casting it the way they're casting it. And to me, every year I go to Comic-Con, I'm more and more reliant on the fact or aware of the fact that people are waiting so long. They are going through mm-hmm. so much to watch these panels. You have to make it worthwhile. You have to, you know, give them something, whether it's information, whether it's an exclusive trailer, would, whether it's 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 I, actual I think also showmanship. things. Yeah, yeah, you have to yeah. you have to think, do something think, in the room. I think there was some of the, some element to that. Like it was certainly much more entertaining to watch that panel than the Dirk Gently panel. And I'm not just saying that because of my feelings. I don't think the feelings. same amount of people were waiting for Dirk Gently as they were for American. I mean, Gods. but it, I mean, aside from the fact that you don't have Douglas Adams on the panel because he sadly passed away, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a similar situation where you're looking at a you're looking at a unknown, un- unproven uh, adaptation of a of a very beloved literary work, um, and also, and then, but I mean, Dirk Gently, meanwhile, just has Max Landis, you know ranting for an hour straight while anyone else tries to despite anyone else being asked a question ever <sighs> I didn't enjoy that panel you guys <laughs> well we knew that going in Liz but <laughs> I didn't know how <laughs> Max Landis it was it. going to be I didn't know how bad it I just like per, he, he just every question like the poor the actual showrunner of the show was like sitting there like just like I'm, I, I, I just live with this. This is my life now. I just have to handle having this person near me at things. It was not a good scene. 
Didn't well, care for it. Sorry. Yeah. That's I, I my think rant. That, I, I guess that's just the larger point, though. Like, anybody going into that panel knows what's going to happen. They know who Max Landis is. They know what they're going to get. And even if he's just ranting for an hour, they're gonna he's going to rant about stuff that they probably don't know. American Gods, it, it feels like... It just feels like it's not. I don't want mean to harp on this because you are, I am you very are really excited beating for the, the crap out of I just, American it, Gods. It was the same thing for me when I went to Game of Thrones two years ago. It's one of those things where there's nothing that came out of that. Oh yeah, that you didn't get online. Right. So like, why would people wait so long to stay and see that? You have to give them something that's worth the wait. Well, and people are waiting for hours, if not days, and this year they're waiting out in the sun, sweating to death under umbrellas. Like, I mean, you really have to earn it. So I, I don't know. I. As far as it goes, like with Comic Con, it, it really needs to start amping it up. And, and frankly, the people to me who are taking it the most seriously and doing the best job are FX. Actually, Fox in general, they seem to really recognize that. Like the Bob's Burgers panel, they really worked hard to try to give people information and clips and goodies. Like they passed out Bob's Burgers bags. Um, like two years ago, they passed out those Tina um, face things that like made you into Tina. Um, and then they showed clips and previews from the upcoming season that they did not release online they did not give out anywhere else and then obviously you know they the lauren bouchard who's always very aware of this tried to take as much time as possible to answer fans direct questions so like he just was cycling through quickly getting like from one to the next and make sure like things happen so i really admire the people who take it seriously um and kind of have the option to give stuff and and, you know american gods is early on they don't have a lot that they can give away so it's 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 tough same with game of thrones they're you know obviously you know what bless their hearts (laughs) i i've been in the game of attending game of thrones every single year at comic-con and they sometimes they are able to hit the sweet spot and like least give you a little bit of casting but they're always production wise not quite there to share anything so this year they i mean they tried a little bit of sleight of hand with the uh, production video, uh, the blooper reel was great. I think that's a good. It was a really cu- well cut blooper. I think reel. that's a good middle ground that going forward they should just always have a blooper reel from the previous season ready because it's usually for the DVD. Mm-hmm. And um, they and, had and, it at least two years ago. Did they not do it last year? Was, I can't remember. I don't. But it's not every I, year. I, I don't recall. Yeah. I don't recall last yeah. year actually. Yeah, it's not every year. And then also, I would just say, clearly though, for the fans, I think seeing. The, their favorite stars on a panel, especially when, let's say, Hodor is, like, had died. Oh, yeah. That that was really important for them. But just uh, the other quibble about Game of Thrones, their moderator every single year is somehow not quite bringing... And it might just because there's too many people on the cast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's, that's the thing. Like, you... Panel size matters an awful it does. lot when it comes to these things. Like, especially, like... Uh, like I saw the con man panel this year and I saw it last year as well and both times it was like con man it was bigger last year it was at least 15 people on one stage in Hall H and like so people half like half of them like got to say like two words and but it it, it, it it slows down the flow of the opening it you know creates it doesn't like create like a real intimate conversation like you got a max like 10 or less at the max like is probably my rule of thumb. Uh, I actually saw, I was pretty impressed by this. Like uh, two of the film panels I saw were for Snowden and Valerian. And uh, they kept it to four people each. And that's 
a good number. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even 10, I think, is too much. I feel like six yeah. is probably like my max limit yeah. unless they're like archer where you kind of have to have them and you, you know, want like that and yeah. especially with archer where it's like they don't actually ever see each other all year so yeah. it's like their first that's time. actually kind of magical yeah, yeah. the interaction can be valuable if there mm -hmm. are more than that it's just if you're running a panel and the moderator is literally going one by one and you know right. half of them are not as important as the other half and they're trying gets, to gets ask tough. a question that's worthy and yeah. then it's sort of lame sometimes and yeah. I, it's, they have to take big swings and sometimes those are big misses yeah so. and, and yeah. I again I don't fault them for that but it's hard for yeah. on them, you know, to think of material. Yeah, yeah. And, and speaking of Archer, I mean, <laughs> honest to God, every year they I do mean, it right. Like every single year they really figure out a way to make sure that the people who spend the time at Comic-Con are really treated to something unique. And the first thing was Archer Live, yeah, you uh, guys which got, they did the night before. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so jealous that you guys got to do this. Yeah, Han and I got into that, um, which they had on a, on a, on a giant yacht. Um, so beforehand, they gave out boxed dinners. They had uh, two free drinks for everybody who got on the boat. Um, and they had a full bar, which was great as well. They also were selling merchandise, which some of it was a little bit overpriced. But one thing they had was like a big box of like all six seasons or I think the first oh. six seasons on Blu-ray, like an Archer like uh, glass of, of some kind and like two other like specific things to it. And it was like 10 bucks. I mean, they were basically wow. giving those away. Um, and then you went on to the top of, of the boat, uh, open air, watched them do a live read, which was the whole cast, plus, you know, uh, Christian Slater, who showed up what as did, moderator, what did they which read? was a big surprise. They read Vision Quest, which wasn't even uh, from, it was from two years ago. Right. But they chose so perfectly because it's mm -hmm. got everybody, you know, uh, bouncing off one another continuously throughout the entire episode. That's the one where they're all trapped on the elevator, in case you guys forgot right. what Vision Quest was. Um, and then they had Jessica Walter show up as a cameo appearance, like at the very end, to read like her one line and be on stage with the whole team. Uh, they also recruited people from the crowd to do the uh, voices of Milton, the uh, toaster. the toaster basically, who just wanders There's around. There's a lot of beeping. Uh, who, it's yeah, great. And the guy just auditioned to beep. And then they had a, a 911 operator. Uh, that they wanted to be sassy and dismissive, and they found someone perfect that for that, too. Actually, so I was actually impressed. She did a great job, yeah. yeah. Um, this sounds so delightful. But, like, the energy of it, and uh, as well as the fact that they were giving away food and drinks and a unique experience that you're literally never going to get anywhere else. They didn't record it. They're not releasing it, you know, elsewhere. Um, so all those fans got to see that. And then on the panel itself, which, you know, is something which gets a little bit tricky in terms of, uh, in terms of you know, satisfying everyone, they announced a ton of Archer news. That, they, that is, your 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 article basically lays out the entire framework of season eight, which is mind-boggling. Like it was, it was a, it's a, it's their biggest swing yet. And we know they've done Archer Vice. They basically did Archer Hollywood last year. Like they're trying all these new genres and they're really playing around with their characters. But before they kept the same characters, they kept the same serialized story. Now they're basically saying, spoiler alert for anybody who doesn't want to know what's coming on Archer. Uh, they're basically saying Archer is alive, but he's in a coma. We are going to live the entire season in a dreamscape where he is imagining himself as a detective or a private investigator in uh, the 1920s whose partner is murdered, which is Woodhouse, who actually dies in real life for the show uh, because the voice actor, George Coe, actually died as well, and this is their way of honoring him for an entire season. Uh, so Archer is going to be a private investigator trying to figure out who killed his partner. Um, all the other characters have new roles. Lana's a... a nightclub singer um pam is a is a uh a detective who might have gender identity issues uh 
Oh, what was Mallory is just known as M, which is a nice <laughs> nod to its its origins. Anyway, there's there's all the stuff that they gave out, and they laid it out in this like two minute long trailer that they have not released still. Like it's not out there for you're anybody just else wait, to see. You're just, yeah, it's literally been on the edge of the seat waiting for them to release this trailer. I just want everybody else to enjoy it, but at the same time, I have nothing but respect for the FX people because I know how hard it was to get into that panel, and I know that the people who wanted to get in were justly rewarded for being inside and getting to see that. Um, Even if it wasn't as well moderated as it was last year. Correct. Even if the, the moderator was not as good as our own Liz Shannon Miller. Thank you. So Archer Noir. Really excited. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, and that's the thing. Like Super cool. And also you, that means it's a good entry point for a lot of people who might not have been watching consistently. Very true. I yeah. mean, not that Archer is the kind of show with the kind of deep mythology, but yeah. yeah but no, it's a good point, actually. It's something, something they should look at selling when we get closer. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they're going to. I'm sure the marketing department is already going a little bit crazy trying to figure out angles for this because it's going to be really fun, but it's also going to take a bit of explanation to make sure people are up to date on what's going on. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that was one. Of, that was probably the best panel I saw, uh, and and the most important information for anybody, you know, at all interested in anything in the Comic Con universe to take away from Comic Con. Right. I'm trying to think now of what was the best panel I saw. Um, Certainly, Orphan Black was a lot of fun. If, if talking about unique experiences you can't get anywhere else. Um, <clears throat> as we all know, Tatiana Maslany is well-known well known for loving improv, act, uh, improv. And Scott Ackerman, who was moderating the panel, put her on the spot a bit, which was kind of, I'm never sure that's a good idea, but it was, kind of, it was fun at the time. Uh, he put her on the spot and asked her to do some live improv with her fellow castmates in character as various clones from the show Orphan Black. And... Uh, so I have I have now the memory of Tatiana Maslany as Allison praising Donald Trump, and it was it's so in char- it was so in character and so charming that uh, it made me not hate it made me smile while while saying the words Donald Trump, which doesn't normally happen. No, I wouldn't expect it to. Um, um, so yeah, Han, what about you? Yeah, did you have anything that like? I guess you after have... the weekend, you're thinking to yourself, man, I can't believe that happened, or I can't believe this is coming. Like, information you may have learned that's, like, kind of pertinent to whatever show. Like, I mean, I know you had a good time with the iZombie panel. Did you get anything good out of that? Um, it was a lot of, actually, pretty meaty stuff yeah. um, as far as season three comes, especially since it's a um, mid-season show. Right. And part of that, uh, I mean, there's even stuff from the press room that... I need to write up at some point. But um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think because part of that is with the new zombie world order that's possibly coming, you know, what this means for how the formula of the show changes, if it changes. And also the relationships are kind of in disarray right now. Um, no, so I, I, I haven't caught up. Yeah. So the zombies are starting to kind of encroach. Well, when we left, the, the, the most brilliant um, finale ever for the show, well, it's only had two seasons, but last season was they had, you know, Rob Thomas makes the show, and they had Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20 perform nice. on the show, and they killed him. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, spoiler alert, sorry. But um, and but because of the world of zombies, if you ingest someone's brain, you get their abilities and memories. Oh my God. So they ate Rob's, uh, Rob Thomas's brain, and someone sure. was singing... Uh, one of those Matchbox 20 songs. I wish you could step back by my ledge, my friend. Was uh, that Matchbox? That's no, Third that's, Eye Blind, that's, Yeah, that's Liz. Um, was it? Yes, yeah. that's Jumper. That oh, was from yeah. the prank that they did at the RNC. There is, 
there is a there there is that era. You are yeah. correct in no, that we, sort we of nineties. We actually have a Matchbox Twenty CD on our bookshelf. And yet you couldn't even remember three. I actually quite like. Yeah. Oh, that's yes. right. That's the three AM. I like. That's the Matchbox Twenty. Song. I actually quite unironically like Matchbox Twenty, so oh, that same. delighted me for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that delighted me. Um, I think also Rob Thomas is actually pretty good. So when he nice. paired up with Santana, that was great. But anyway, that aside. Um, so. Yes, there were a lot of there were a lot of zombies, and um, they there's now a group trying. Uh, she runs, what's it called? Fillmore Graves. Oh. Um, <laughs> I love the puns in this series. Yeah. Um, Shady plots, Fillmore Graves. Um, but uh, there there's a group that's trying to make Seattle a place for zombies, oh. and um, which unfortunately means that they don't want it to be a place for humans, and trying to recruit uh, live on their side and you know live is actually a good zombie yeah so uh how that goes forward um how she she'll go forward as to having a female zombie friend you know that'll be different because she's only you know hung around male zombies right um there will be a little bit of peer pressure to uh normalize herself get a tan uh, maybe dire hair and you know why so it is it, <laughs> yeah it's very interesting what that's might great. be coming up yeah that's really exciting I, like uh, that I mean my my favorite part of your article about that panel was the part where uh she where because i remember like at the original at the first tcas for for iZombie, one of the things she complained about not well she wasn't bitching about it but she, she was she mentioned that she did not particularly enjoy eating the fake zombie brains yeah and now apparently they've gotten better well yes um she i didn't go fully in depth in this one but she did still say that you know when she first ate it because it's a weird gelatinous thing right that they then douse with hot sauce and other food red food coloring so it's still not palatable but she you know it's her job so she sucked it up and she ate it and in all its various forms right and um but she also pointed out that the men on the series have had to eat the brains on occasion either by accident or because they become zombies and have been huge babies about it. <laughs> um, something that I thought was very interesting in the last season especially was the the sequences where they she creates her recipes. Right. And they almost look like tasty videos um, that we see on, you know, our Facebook feeds and all those, the viral ones that you share that right. are all cheesy and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But they look actually good and sometimes um, accessible to make. <laughs> so there's an actual woman who makes these recipes and um, they actually have real ingredients, including the bad brains. Um, but one of them, in particular, uh, Rose MacGyver liked so much, she actually asked for the recipe and made it sans brains. Um, <laughs> it was a, like a turkey chili recipe or something nice. like that. Yeah. And so uh, I, I, that's actually something I would like to delve more into. And we'll see if that's a thing this season. Because who knows? There might not be time for cooking. Yeah. And, I mean, no matter what, I always enjoy a good food, food stylist story, especially. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean... The, the crowning crowning achievement of food style uh, the the crowning w- winner of my heart anyway was Janice Poon who handled all the food work on uh, Hannibal but this lady sounds like she's doing hard work as well oh yeah 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 God's work there you go yeah but yeah um so I mean how are you feeling Ben are you looking forward to next year's Comic Con uh yeah I mean as much as you look forward to Comic Con anytime I mean it's 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 always something where you can I feel like you get to see some really good stuff and if you can embrace 
the attitude of it from the from the right perspective uh it works really really well like it's it's always endearing especially this year it was very endearing to see kind of uh you know a lot of female ghostbusters wandering around it was great to see a lot of rays uh, especially little girl rays like just that was fantastic and for me like right as i was leaving I saw an elderly couple um, like holding hands, walking around the showroom floor, and they're both wearing shirts that said "nerd" on them. Oh. And it was just like, "This is great! Like this, this is exactly why this thing needs to exist and why it's so beautiful." Um, and it was perfect for me because the, literally the last thing I saw at Comic Con was the Killing Joke, um, which was the worldwide <laughs> premiere. And it was—I don't want to say it was a disaster, but it was pretty disappointing in terms of how much respect the graphic novel has, and then them extending it into a feature league film how badly that went right um i was reading reading about the panel coverage on that one and it was just like you've got the writer calling calling someone in the audience a pussy like for for daring to question the fact that why did you make barbara gordon into a sex object yeah it was an interesting panel discussion and they like the panel there for that the panel was held before they screened it uh, hmm. Like before they screened the actual episode, I think they answered a few questions afterwards as well, which is where I think that part came from. Um, but really, it was it was it was positive for me to see that people didn't like it because it's one of those things where the graphic novel is so well respected and they do honor that pretty purely once they get to it. Uh, that I was concerned people would defend it, mm. um, even when the additions are just so manipulative and and fucked up that you cannot get behind it like i mean the barbara gordon thing you know the the problem with the graphic novel to begin with was that she was not a person she was just a motivating (coughs) factor for you know batman well actually not even for batman for commissioner gordon right and then for for batman to care about commissioner gordon he went to that and they tried to build out her story so when it starts you're like oh well great they're making her into a real person oh no wait she's just like a weird romantic non-romantic sex interest for Batman now which makes Batman into a bad boyfriend all of a sudden uh, which was a really weird thing to watch Um, and it it didn't add anything to her character it literally just extended the idea that she is a victim and that she is going to be a victim like abused in a horrible way by now two counts it sounds like they went even deeper into the which what she already is which is a classic example of refrigerating Oh yeah. Um, a fridging, rather. Fridging. That's the, that's the verb. Refrigerating is also, you know. <laughs> it's also bad. Uh, you shouldn't do that to women either way. Uh, I do really love your characterization. I do love your characterization of Batman as a bad boyfriend. I am going to comment that Batman, let's be clear, is probably a bad boyfriend in any any context. I would have to say I wouldn't recommend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but when you're like the problem with that to me was that what what the killing joke is mainly about is about the moral quandary that he's put in where he is a guy who doesn't kill but he's encountered in a scenario in which he thinks he has to or he thinks it's going to end that way and he has to make a decision about it so to trust that storyline you have to trust this character as being somebody who is infallible in a way like somebody who is trustworthy somebody who is good inherently good and instead of enforcing that in a different way they tore that down and they're like well no he's actually just not a great guy either that's a so shame. like we've got two guys who aren't like the joker is the worst and now a guy who's kind of seen as being worse than you'd expect him to be and a girl who just doesn't matter anymore so it's like what are you doing with this story it, mm-hmm. it almost sounds like you're kind of sick of male anti-heroes ben oh well absolutely which is why <laughs> it's so fascinating well we'll get to this in a minute when i get to my best thing but mm-hmm. um but yeah so it was it was disappointing to see that happen but it was encouraging to see that 
the reaction online, the reaction in the room was fairly negative. Like people are recognizing the fact that they messed this up a little bit, which is good. Yeah. Um, so and then seeing the the nice couple wearing the nerd shirts, it's like Aww. okay, so Comic Con can mm-hmm. get it. Like we mm-hmm. can make big group decisions and and kind of be on the right page. Yeah. Let me let me let me before we, we should wrap things up, but I'll I'll quickly describe it. One one of the panel I checked out as well was the panel for the hundred. And large, basically the story going into that panel, we, we knew either one of two things was going to happen. We knew either um, the 100, of course, had a very, very eventful season three, which included killing, included falling basically prey to one of television's more annoying tropes, which is the lesbian death cliche, mm. wherein as soon as a lesbian finds happiness, she should immediately be killed, usually by a stray bullet. Stray bullets are the preferred way to kill a lesbian after she's found happiness. So, oh, Tara. Oh, Tara. Um, don't ask about that, Ben. You don't know yet. I don't want to know. Good. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, I... Yeah, so they killed off a character on the 100, after a lesbian after she had just found happiness. Um, people were very upset. It caused you, I'm sure you, I'm sure you gentle listeners saw saw some of the some of the rantings about it, because it, it was a very it, beyond the fandom of the show. It was a very iconic moment for television in that respect. And so, of course, the panel didn't bring it up. Like you know, nobody nobody on the actual panel was like, by the way, we want to say we're very sorry about this. They, I think there's there's been attempts to make statements on this fact on, on this issue, but you know, it's not gone great. Uh, and so I, they dodged it essentially. Uh, but dodged is an interesting word there, um, <laughs> because then uh, when they opened it up for audience questions, the first audience member uh, to ask a question was Alexa Cosplayer. Alexa is the character in question here. And she had two bodyguards with her because, in her words, just in case of stray bullets. And it wasn't so much, it, the line was great. And then, but more importantly, the entire room, and this is Ballroom 20, this is the second largest, one of the sec- like second or third largest mm-hmm. venue in, hall, in at Comic-Con. So about, what do you think, like a thousand people? Or possibly more. Maybe possibly more. more. Yeah. But like a thousand people just went, ooh. And it was the only time it ever came up, but it was such, it was such an interesting moment mm-hmm. uh, that, really, that really stuck with me. Because it was definitely like, there's a lot of love for the show, in the panel and from the audience, but at the same time, like you can love something and still have a problem with it. Yeah, and, and I think it's because they are so in love with the show. Exactly. Like, so that was an interesting time. That's uh, what was cool. yeah? What was your big takeaway? Um, for Comic Con in general. Yeah. What was like? What, what was mo- one moment that stuck with you? Oh boy, I'm trying to think. Uh, besides those things I mentioned. I mean, it's you. You like, just, I'm, I'm you, kind you, of in a you, daze. Yeah, you, you were you, you, you also just got back. Ben oh, and I both had Sunday to recover. Plus, you covered a lot of film stuff too. Yeah. So. Well, we all covered a lot of film and a lot of TV and stuff like that. I, I mean, it stuck with me and not necessarily in a bad way because I went to Kevin Smith and <laughs> and saw his uh, filibuster, <laughs> and um, it it was fantastic in so many Kevin Smithy ways. Um, cussing and just all the stuff and kids are like horrified but they're there late so they know what they're getting into and um, he can tell a story like no other person he's raconteur you know to extreme and uh, although I was very cold and hungry and waiting for this to end and he was going over at least an hour and a half (laughs) so I was there about three plus hours Um, he's he is a fascinating person and I think the essence of Comic-Con of a fanboy who made it made good 
and and he there was a moment in there that he was very much sort of like a life coach to this guy who was a podcaster who asked a question um, where he was just like look everyone here should be making a podcast never doubt that you ever have a voice and he's like that's the only thing you have you can get old and gray you know people will lose their looks all this other stuff you you can be um you know you you don't have to be even physically able to do anything but you can do a podcast and and so i was like okay good for you and you know clearly he's using his voice but um yeah and so that's what comic-con is about is self-expression you know fandom and um like you're saying about ray and um the girls who are dressed up as like their heroes i saw and it's always great to see these things because you forget sometimes more recently especially when you're comic-con i saw a really great david bowie from um, labyrinth and I think it was an Asian guy. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so great. And I'm so sad I didn't take a picture of him. Um, but, yeah. So there's a lot of love I have for Comic-Con because it's a place of inclusivity. Yeah. No, it's yeah. beautiful. It's beautifully put. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I love the inclusivity aspect of it. Exactly what you said defined it so well. And at the same time, the biggest thing that I'm afraid of when I go to Comic-Con is the size of it. Like, there's just yes. so many people. It's too inclusive. Yeah. That I get. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's too inclusive, but it also has to be because you want that many people because then, you know, you can see it. Like, you can see exactly why they have it so yeah um but yeah i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of hilarious that we're 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 in the we've got two days off between comic-con and what is one of television's most inclusive exclusive events uh the tca press tour which kicks off this wednesday and we're getting ready for that as best we can given that netflix has yet to give us a schedule for and what super doing. super short turnaround time yeah comic-con they, usually we have a week usually we have a week uh this t- this time we have two days but it should be a lot of fun you'll be getting lots of updates from us as we attend that and struggle through the many panels and free food um the the free food is not a complaint we struggle are not complaining about the free yeah. food. <laughs> life, life is hard for us you guys please feel bad please feel bad um in the meantime han what was the best thing you watched last week um, I was a slightly late to the bandwagon, but I'm fully on it, which is uh, Stranger Things. Nice. Um, I've only gotten through about three episodes because Comic-Con came before <laughs> I was able to finish it. And also, I'm kind of a chicken, so I have to watch it when there's enough buffer time for me to, like, recover. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's, it is fantastic for all the reasons why people are fans. I'm not even a genre 80s horror fan. But I, apparently I am an 80s fan of all children's films. <laughs> so Stand By Me, Goonies, all of that, all of those elements, the throwback music. And um, it is actually, it looks great too. And that, oh, and the child stars are so good. Um, they really are great. Like they're, act, they're, they're the perfect kind of child star where they're like great actors, but they also seem like they're actually really kids. Yeah, there's, they have personalities. Like they're not like some, uh, I don't know, mop top with... Like, I don't, nothing against Shirley Temple, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good pick. It's, yeah. uh, it's one that I still feel weird talking about because I don't have the unrestrained enthusiasm of a lot of people who are watching it. Uh, but at the same time, there's just so much to admire, especially from such young people all around. Uh, such, not first-timers necessarily, but a lot of um, people who are just getting their starts in the business. So, yeah. very I mean, strong voice. It, it's it's a show that has kind of I think snuck up on a lot of people, but has really really stuck out. Yeah, and that's probably the best way to watch it. The best way to watch is going without any expectations, and then just be like, oh wow, look at what they've done. Yeah, so. and actually, it was it's become such a favorite that I think it actually came up at many times at Comic Con on panels where people are like, oh, this is my favorite thing right now, mm-hmm. um, including at Kevin Smith and I believe even one of the Mar- uh, Warner Brothers panel oh, wow. movie panels. Yeah. So yeah, people were like, I really love this show. Great. Yeah. 
Um, what about Ben? What's yeah. the last thing, best thing you saw? Uh, well, speaking of TV anti-heroes a little bit earlier, and one of the reasons I went on the Killing Joke rant was to make sure that people don't go see it in theaters. You can pay for it over the next two days, uh, tonight, Monday, and tomorrow, Tuesday. If you want to see it in theaters, don't do that. At <laughs> least wait for it to show up on HBO or something, wherever it's going to be somewhat discounted uh, to watch it then. But that being said, the best TV anti-hero now and since I don't know like Walter White is Bojack Horseman yes um, we've talked about this before it may have been my pick last week you know me guys I, I can't remember what my picks are but I don't feel bad recommending it again because it is the best show on TV right now it's one of the best shows on TV in the last I don't even know how long definitely one of the best seasons since uh, season two of the leftovers but um, watch it I know a lot of people have been holding off. I've been seeing people say stuff like, oh, well, I guess now is the time that I'm going to finally catch up on BoJack. And God, do it. Like, it's it's so good. It's yeah. impossible to describe. I've also noticed a lot of critics seem to be struggling in the term of, of how to describe it to people because it is a show that's really, really, really hysterically funny where you're going to be laughing throughout and also incredibly dramatic. But there's no emotional whiplash here. They don't, like, they don't pull from one to the other so quickly that you're going to be sitting there laughing and then all of a sudden you're going to feel bad about it. They find a way to blend those two, you know, distinctly different, uh, you know, drama and comedy categories, like, into one beautiful story. And they're so honest about it that uh, it's it's just amazing. It's just something you've got to see. Yeah. Um, Han, I'm going to attempt – I've got I've, – Han, is, Han has not watched BoJack yet – uh, we've been, we haven't been and yelling. I was not calling out Han. That was not no, what no, I was no, doing. But I I've literally seen, you guys. But <laughs> I'm sorry, no, no, I've literally no, seen no, so no, many I, people I was just going to mention to you, I was just going to mention to you that, uh, just to this morning, we discovered that there is a food blog that, what? that is related directly to the show. I'm so down. Oh yeah. My God. So you just have to get to episode, season three, episode nine. And once you get there, you get to walk, get to experience this amazing food blog. How joke. many episodes in the first two seasons? There's twelve each, so okay. you just have to watch a good a good thirty three like, episodes of TV yeah. before you get. But to they're them. not full hours. Yeah, no, exactly. No. It's half hour. So and honestly, again, doable. pointers yeah. for people who are writing comedy these days in an age where restrictions are not a thing, especially time restrictions. A lot of BoJack clocks in at about twenty five to twenty six minutes. So you guys don't need to be writing 37-minute comedy half-hour program. Like, don't. <laughs> Shut him down, Patel. <coughs> Sorry. I, I'm actually, I mean, I'm speaking to a lot of people. But, like, <laughs> I mean, this, this, this was a problem since Arrest Development Season 4 hit. Like, you need to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Restri- like, editing is good. Restrictions are good. I Make sure you editing. clock in a little bit lower. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Cool. Nice. Liz, take it away. Something, perhaps, that we haven't talked about before. Um. Weirdly, it's like you never know can predict what's going to like be comfort food for you, like when you're in a stressful situation like Comic Con. And for some reason, this week uh, I went back to the Lisa Kudrow show, The Comeback, which I I've seen all the way through at least once before. But I rewatched the whole thing. Ended up rewatching the whole thing both uh, during during uh, Comic Con and also like yesterday. I finished it off, and God, that show's so good. Um, the first season is it's it's a fake reality show. Uh, it's it's on HBO if you HBO Go HBO Now if you haven't checked it out before, but it is so smart about television and it is so well acted. And Lisa Kudrow is just incredible as this character, this this you know one time sitcom actress who's trying to have a comeback. And it's just a fascinating character portrait combined with a lot of really great improv comedy and some real heart and depth to it. 
Yeah, it's it's meta comedy that's not strictly self-serving, which is really refreshing to see these days too. Yeah, and season two uh, really builds beautifully on season one, and there's like a nine-year gap between the two of them. Uh, and <laughs> it's almost like it, there had to be, you know, like yeah. the way they tell it. It's almost like this is what we wanted to happen. Exactly. It's, but they but season two is hilarious because what happens is um, there is a basically there's an HBO dramedy. Uh, that becomes the center of the show without going into too many spoilers. And what's um, it is such a hysterical quasi parody of like the HBO, it's dark, it's edgy dra- uh, dramedy category that still leads to people, you know, getting best, getting nominated in the best actor, best actor in a comedy categories. It's, it's such a joy, this show. And I mean, it's also incredibly hard viewing and incredibly interesting. So it's worth checking out. Uh, but Han, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um, this was actually hard for me to think about was, um, I would say Luke Cage and, um, I actually just full disclosure, I've seen about seven episodes and I've actually been kind of on the fence whether I like it or not. But what I think I do like about it is that it's so tonally and everything different from the previous Marvel Netflix stuff. Um, it, it's, um, I think even, uh, the director had called it the Wu Tangification of Marvel. Oh, so good. Uh, which is fantastic quote, but it's also kind of true. There's a really like deep hip hop influence um, in the show, not only because he used to write, think write for Vibe or one of those he publications. Wrote, he wrote a book about Wu Tang Clan. Yeah, and but then also he just knows all these musicians, and so some of those, without really spoiling anything, I don't think is um, some of those musicians actually appear on the show as themselves. Oh wow! In context, so you know, um, it actually makes sense. And this is, you know, Marvel is like our parallel universe, so it's very realistic in so many ways. It's set in Harlem, which is something we definitely haven't seen because we were stuck in Hell's Kitchen. Um, but uh, yeah, and there it's just a really good. I mean, it's it's black culture during a time that we need to really kind of explore what we think about that, how we feel about it, right. and how it's portrayed even. Um, uh, so yeah, I actually want. I can't wait to see the rest of it, and um, and just see how the, you know how people react to. Well, I mean, the cultural legacy of that character is so fascinating in that respect. Like he he was created during a similarly awful time, and it for for, for black culture, and you know the basic fact of. You know, they created a bulletproof a, bull, a bulletproof black man. Like, is such an impactful thing when you think about it. Yeah, and and when you and the word black exploitation, I know, obviously has a really more of a negative connotation now. But it was really an empowering thing. Is like basically you had black characters doing things that only the white man got to do without actually you know being it being negative. So he got to beat up people. He got to do right. and, and same with women. Like you know kind of like Pam Greer's. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I, I love that trailer, which isn't even really much of a trailer. Like, you just kind of see, you know, it's just basically one action sequence. But if only for the Wu-Tang. Like, yeah. it's such a good trailer. I didn't realize he could kick that high. <laughs> a good high kick. He's a big dude. <laughs> yeah, he, he's flexible. I, yeah. I, I'm very, actually very curious because uh, in the press room, you got to see him in person. He really is that large. It's kind of uncomfortable, but kind of exciting at the same time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there were a few women who actually could not resist and ask for the selfies with him. Uh, I, I was not one of them. Um, but you know what? If I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, yeah, he's no, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a beautiful man, but he's also just a really nice guy. Um, and he was fully aware uh, of the what? fact he has a woman. 
<laughs> well, or uh, of his place in this story and how important it was, and even his own feelings about that, which um, uh, hopefully I can write up at some point soon. And um, and he has very good insights about like how he's even been affected by how people think of him and how he played into the whole, oh, I'm not going to be the scary black man. Right. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Uh so I, I think it's actually maybe a show that I should like better and maybe I will like better over time just thinking about it more. Well, I think also, like, I, I've noticed this as well with Marvel shows. Like, the back half of the season really makes the season. And as you said, you've only seen the first seven, so who knows? Yeah, and I like the ending um, episodes that I saw in the, those seven much better than the first one. So it might just be one of those that exactly like, yeah. found its pacing. Yeah. Um, so, Ben, what is the next thing you're looking forward to? Well, Han, um, this one is <laughs> is pretty specific, and I think I'm going to throw it out there because, honestly, I, I can't think of anything that's more exciting than um, this little indie movie that's getting ready to get into the scripting stage. Um, and it's going to be pitched to very specific TV actors that we love, that we all love, and they're all very close to our hearts. Um, and it, it stems from a conversation between a, around a couple of people who really wanted to make more... <laughs> more comedic efforts than dramatic efforts, oh and they've been kind God. of typecast as, as drama actors, and that's Julian Anderson and Kyle Chandler. And um, <laughs> over the Comic-Con break, when we were lucky enough to, the four of us, you know, uh, Liz, Mike Han, Michael Schneider, and myself sit down and actually have a meal, uh, we came up with this pretty great pitch for a romantic comedy in which Kyle Chandler and Julian Anderson are going to be romantically linked, but it's, uh, and it's going to be, you know, they're going to have a meet-cute, there's going to be some nice visual and uh, audio puns, especially with the title, which we're not going to give away right now. But um, the, the point of it is that it's going to be a meta commentary on the fact that once you reach a certain age in Hollywood, you're no longer allowed to be a romantic lead. And we're going to be aware of the fact that this is very different for men and women, since men can obviously be romantic leads until they're like 85 and yeah. they're still dating 40-year-olds or something. Uh, and women 20, are basically, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> women are basically shut down once they hit, I don't know, 30. So uh, we're going to be very aware of that, but we're also going to be giving a voice to people who uh, who haven't been able to do it comedically, and and we're going to make that happen, guys. I, I'm I'm behind this. I, I, I'm just impressed that 48 hours later you still remember all of this. I will never forget it because we are going to make it happen, and part of it is putting it out there right now, just in case you know, Jillian, Kyle, you're listening. We're we're going to make the script for you, and it's going to be good. You guys, I, yeah, I think if, I think of all the actors in the world, I think Jillian Anderson and Kyle Chandler sharing the screen together is a real. The fact that it hasn't happened yet is just a travesty. Absolutely. We're going to try to right those wrongs right here at IndieWire. Uh, but Liz, if you could maybe share something that isn't fictional, <laughs> that isn't that uh, that might you know have a release date or or even you know been shot or written, uh, that would probably be good. Oh, they released a new trailer for The Get Down this morning, and I really liked it. And I'm just in general so jazzed about that show and the music, especially like it's the only like every time I've heard the music of the of, of, of that show, it's just like this is all the only thing I want. Like I've I've had in my Twitter bio for like the last, ever since I've had a Twitter bio uh, that I love old school funk. And this looks like some really fresh new takes on old school funk and I love that. So that's that's what I got. It's a good um, pick, it's a good pick. I, yeah, I mean, I also got, uh, we've got we've got all of our Twitters to look forward to over the next uh, several weeks uh, because uh, TCAs are coming and, Sorry to everyone who isn't a TV critic and has to listen, has to follow all the TV critics and then see them all tweet the exact same thing over and over again. But we'll try not to do that. We'll try to keep it interesting and fresh. And Han's Twitter, for example, can be found at Hanonymous. 
Um, and then Ben's can also be found at Ben T. Travers. And Liz's is at Lizlet, and that's an I and an E. Yes, that's correct. Thank you so much for joining us this week, Han. It was a lot of fun having you. My pleasure, always. Yeah. You guys are pros. It's awesome to join you. Yeah, well, you know. God. You're going to make me blush. That's just ridiculous. (laughs) I'm not a professional. Some things. Um, I don't even know what that means. Uh, But anyways, thank you all so much for listening. You can go to IndieWire.com for all of our thoughts on the television world. Uh, And you can find the great Screen Talk podcast with two absolute professionals, uh, Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson. It's on our – I mean, it's everywhere. It's on iTunes. It's on our site. You can pick it up. They're talking – Great summer films right now, uh, as well as some indies that have really picked up traction. I mean, there's there's some indies making some money right now, which is great to hear. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll be back next week, probably, hopefully alive, hopefully sounding as good as we do now. Uh, but you know, it's will be it'll be week one of TCA, so no promises on that. And in the meantime, you guys keep watching television. 